The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever, your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, he who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, before we dive into it, let's pray together and then we'll, we'll consider this psalm. Our great God, we thank you. We thank you that you are worthy to be praised. Oh God, you have made our hearts that we might worship. You have made our hearts to find pleasure in worship, to find meaning in worship, to find significance in worship. But Father, because of the fall and because of our own sinfulness, because of the power of sin in our flesh, uh, we worship about anything and everything supremely over you, who is the supreme God. Oh God, we would, like a dog returning to his vomit, that's what we do. Um, we learn over and over again, nothing else will satisfy. There's only one who will satisfy. And yet, oh God, we just will not learn until glory. And so we need you to come by your spirit this morning, and we need you to open our hearts and our minds to the false gods of our life. We need you, O oh God, to, to show us our idols and show us our false gods, and yet we need you to show us how high and wide and deep and long, how sufficient and fulfilling, how life-giving, your love is for us. 
oh God, we need Jesus to grow so large in our hearts. We need Father, Son, and Spirit. We need you to grow so large in our hearts and minds. We need you to so captivate us and blow us away that anything and everything that you demand of us would not seem unreasonable. But it would be the very thing we want to let go because knowing you and having you and possessing you and being your possession is everything. Oh God, you have so much work to do in us this morning. So would you come by your spirit? I can't do it. I can't even do it for myself. I preach as a struggler. <laughs> I preach as one whose idols rage against your love. I preach as one whose heart appraises the things of the world as more valuable so often, more valuable than you. But, oh God, I also preach as one whose eyes have been opened and I have seen your worth and I've seen your glory and I know your love and I'm blown away by it because I know my sin and I know my unworthiness. So, God, would you allow those two things just to come crashing into each heart in this place today? Deal squarely with our shame in your love, in the work of your son, Jesus. And, oh, God, may we leave this place worshiping you. Blow our categories. <laughs> help us to think new thoughts. Oh, God, help us to see worship differently. And we lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been marching through different psalms, one primary thing that I hope has been impressed upon you as it's been impressed upon us, your preaching team, is this whole reality that worship is not something you show up to. Worship is not something like a light switch that you turn it off and on. Worship is not something that you merely schedule. Okay, you can attend worship. But the, the kind of robust worship that the Psalms are talking about um, throughout every psalm is is a lifestyle of worship. It's being so captivated by God that the inside worship of your heart and soul is being reoriented constantly toward the one, the only one that will bring you life. Friends, we are worshipers. God made us to worship, and we are always worshiping. We see it all the time. You're in the target checkout line. You have your three or four-year-old sitting squarely in the cart. And they look over. And they eye some, you know, red, white, and blue shiny package. Maybe it's Silly Putty. Maybe it's a Matchbox car. And all of a sudden, everything in them, they are attracted. They are drawn. And what do they do? They start screaming. They have to have the Silly Putty. Their entire existence depends upon the Silly Putty. And you get them the Silly Putty. It's 50 cents. Here, take the Silly Putty. And then you find it in the back of a closet. <laughs> it's worthless. You pull it out. You can't even get them to, to, be, to re-engage with the silly putty. They are willing in that moment to give up everything for that something because they were made to worship. 
Dear friends, what are you giving up everything? What is your something that you're giving up everything for? What are you coming here? And yes, you're doing your job. You're, you're worshiping. You're, you're, you're lifting your hands. You're, you're praising uh, God. You're singing, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. But it's bull and you know it. You're living for man's approval. You're living for those riches. This is not reality. The gospel's not reality. You're just here to appease your parents. You're just here because you grew up thinking this is what you're supposed to do. You feel better when you leave. You see friends. It's cool. You like the music. But what really has your heart? Do you understand if God doesn't have your heart in this whole thing, then you're just a spy in a foreign land. You're a spy in the land of Canaan. You are not a child of God. This is what worship is about. We're not talking about a worship service. We're talking about your heart's posture toward the Lord Jesus. The psalmist is commanding us to praise. He does it in the first three um, verses, and he does it in the last three or four verses. It's an inclusio. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the God. Praise the Lord. In the last few verses. Um, Let's see. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. He's calling out, tribe by tribe. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion. He who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. He is calling us to worship, and he's doing so because Jesus is not a lover. He is the lover of your soul. There is only one that will, that will fully satisfy you. There is only one who's worth giving up everything for. Dear friends, the strength of not only downtown church, but the strength of the church is the worship of God's people. And again, not just this worship service, but are you living a life of worship? Are you waking up in the morning? Are you directing your heart and mind? Are you disciplining, scheduling, practicing worship? The worship of God. Because if you're not, you are worshiping something else. There's never a neutral moment. Ever. You are worshiping. Always. The only question is, what are you worshiping? And so how can we become passionate worshipers of God? This psalm helps us. Two things this morning. The first thing that we have to see, and I'm going to hit it hard, is we have to understand that to go from neutrality and lukewarmness to passionate worshiping, you have to understand that God is not lukewarm towards you. God is not neutral toward you. He doesn't have a controlled view of his love for you. He is passionately in love for you, with you. He wants you more than anything. He pursues you with everything. He's willing to deprive you of your deepest desires to give you what will only satisfy you, namely himself. And oh, how we will not believe that. None of us believe that naturally. That's why we must worship, why we must move our hearts toward worship. You see, we are a put-out people. We see it in Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve sinned, they were put out of the garden. And our whole lives as put-out people is trying to get back in. 
We left, we were put out away from the love of our souls, and yet God has made a way for us to come back in to his presence and his love. And yet what we're using, the reason that we are not taking God up on his offer most of the time is because we believe that something else will get us in. Something else will replace him. Maybe it's that intimacy, maybe it's that pornography, maybe it's riches, maybe it's wealth, maybe it's better grades, maybe it's uh, this new diet, maybe it's this brand new car, maybe it's this house, maybe it's that vacation, maybe whatever it is, we are using it to try to feel like we're an end people. And yet what God says is, the only thing you need and the most important thing you need is me, and here I am. You see, just like we cannot survive a hunger strike, we cannot survive the love of God strike. We can't. Now, okay, we may physically move on, but we move on in misery. We move on in emptiness. We move on unfulfilled. We move on angry. We move on judgmental. We move on self-righteous. We get our identity literally by the neighborhood we live in. Oh, I'm from East Memphis, North Memphis, South Memphis. What's your hood? That's your identity. How ridiculous. How ridiculous. Well, here's the point. You will not worship until you were freed to know that God's love is what you were made for and God's love is what you get when you get him. You see, friends, because we're a put-out people, our souls are damaged. And, and it, it's not just that, you know, we struggle with guilt now and we feel bad about ourselves, but we are plagued by shame. Shame, as we've talked about, is, this, is, is a view of yourself as if you are worthless. You can believe the gospel for anybody else, but you can't believe it for yourself. You can believe that God loves the person sitting next to you, but, oh, you know what you do. And so shame paralyzes you. Brene Brown, we've talked about recently, has studied shame for like 20 or 30 years. And here are the three things that she, or three steps that one must take to destroy shame in, in your life. Number one, talk to yourself like you talk to someone you love. That's number one. Talk to yourself like you're talking to someone you love. You know why? Because most of us, when we look in the mirror, all we do is we are talking as if we're talking to an enemy. You're worthless. Look at that face. I know what you did last night. I, I know who you really are. Talk to yourself like you talk to someone you love. Two, reach out to someone you trust. Don't suffer alone. Three, tell your story. She says, shame cannot survive being spoken. You know what we do most of the time? Is we hide in our shame. We hide. We, 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 it, it, it almost becomes comfortable for us because we just hold on to it. We hold on to our worthless feelings about ourselves, and we won't share it with anybody else. And that's of the devil because, you see, when we begin to share it with other people, then it loses its power. For so many years, 
I was ashamed. I lived in shame because Rachel and I started our marriage with her pregnant, with our firstborn. I mean, we've been married 20-something years before God finally dealt with my shame and convicted me of the arrogance of it and the pride of it. And it plagued me. It paralyzed me. It, it, it had me in this prison. And I'm sure there's some in here uh, this morning, especially those that, that feel like you're outside of what the church views as acceptable. You may have same-sex attraction. You may be um, a felon an ex-felon. You, I don't know what it is, but you are viewing your sin as that other sin, that when the preacher talks about forgiveness, he's not really talking about you. When, when, when the preacher opens his hands and says, come to Jesus, come down front, you said, yeah, yeah, that, that, you don't really want me. You don't know what I've been doing. The psalmist writes, sing to his name, for it's pleasant. See, the action of worship, it's the rehearsing of the love of God for you. It is pleasant because it's healing. It has to throw shame down. It has to say no to shame. This is what you tell me I am. I am no better than that, that, that guy that got his girlfriend pregnant in high school. But oh no, you know what Jesus tells me, shame? Jesus tells me that he saw me before the creation of the world and he knew I would do that. He knew I would be in that sin. He knew that would be my story. And he said, I want Richard. And I send my son Jesus. And he lives under the law because I know Richard can't live under the law. I know Richard's going to blow the law like crazy. I know. So Jesus lived under the law for me. And then Jesus took all my sin and he went to the cross and he died. He was pierced for my transgression. He was crushed for my iniquities. His punishment brought me peace because now the Father accepts me through the Son, Jesus, as if I had never sinned. And dear friend, that's your story if you're a Christian. And still there's something inside of you raging, saying you can't believe it, you can't believe it, you can't believe it. Because Richard went to seminary and he gave his life to God and I just, I'm a salesperson. <laughs> Come on! It is no job... That can, no job adds to the work of Jesus. I, no sacrifice adds to the work of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> nothing, nothing adds to the work of Jesus because it doesn't need any addition. Nothing. In fact, the more you add to it, the more you're just not going to get it. Oh, the worship of God is pleasant. It's healing. Verses 3 through 4, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it's pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. This is crazy good. See, in ancient cult, you read that, and first glance you're like, oh, okay, well, great. Israel, Jacob. No, what, what was being said here was astounding. Because... Everything centered around the family. There was no individualistic, you know, this is my life goal. No, everything revolved around the family. And really the patriarch in the family, what was true about him was true about you. If, if the patriarch, if the father was wealthy, then you were wealthy. If he had a house, you had a house. If he had food, you had food. If he had a great job, you had a great... Everything 
was centered around the family. And, and these are God's people reading this. And so when they read for uh, the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel's as, as his own possession, what they were hearing is the Lord has chosen you as his own possession. And friends, that's the story. That's the theme of the scriptures. God put us out in Genesis 3. But after Genesis 3, it's God winning back his people. It's God coming near and us pushing back. It's God coming after us. It's God coming after Israel, giving God every single reason to give up on them, and he never does. Why? Because he is a God who will never leave nor forsake us. We are covenant breakers, but he is a covenant keeper. We are an adulterous wife, and yet he is a faithful husband. Listen to this scripture, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Like that little four-year-old maybe taking a nap with the silly putty, a little treasured possession. That's what you are to God, and he doesn't throw you in the back of the closet ever. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your forefathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and, a rede and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant of steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Ephesians 1.4 he chose us. He chose you. Put your name in there. He chose Richard Reeves in him before the foundation of the world. That Richard Reeves should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined Richard Reeves for adoption to himself. He adopted me through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. See, it's not about your performance. It's about the performance of King Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things things in heaven and things on earth. And dear friends, everything is moving toward one day. And that's the day when we, his bride, will be presented to him, the husband. Listen, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Dear friends, God has delivered you from all that separates 
this language in the scriptures of, of, of God coming and delivering his people and, and, and even putting to death kings, uh, doing whatever he had to do. This is the story of God's people. God is delivering his people, doing whatever he must to redeem his people. And dear friends, the last thing for him to do was to send his son to kill him in place of you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. He loves you to the point of sending his own son. Who would do that? I can't imagine giving one of my daughters away for, her, for them to die so that I might possess someone. I can't imagine the depth of that, that love. And yet, friends, that is how he's looking at you right now. He sees you as worth it. Do you get that? then you're not getting the gospel. When you get that, you, your life will be nothing but worship. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, He is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said of Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Zephaniah 3. Dear friends, are you running to that God? What are the lies that you're believing this morning? What are those lies that God is, that the evil one is whispering in your ear to believe? What is it that you think is better than Jesus? What do you think is more trustworthy than his love? What is it that you think is going to satisfy you more than him? What is it? Is it riches? Is it sex? Is it a better job? Is it moving across town? Is it, is it this new mission opportunity? What is it? Nothing will satisfy you like Jesus because you were made for Him. God is not neutral towards you, secondly and finally. God is worth leaving all other loves for. Eric Ballantyne is the director here at Streets. And... He told me this week about his son. His son just graduated from the Air Force. It's not the Air Force Academy, but the Air Force Boot Camp, I guess. So, boot camp. And uh, Eric, um, he's not proud of his past, but he knows God's redeemed his past. And he has a felony on his record. And when he applied, or when he, you know, everybody that comes to the Air Force Boot Camp um, graduation has to be cleared. You can't be let on base unless you're cleared. And so... Um, they saw his felony and told him that he could not attend the graduation of his son. And he was devastated, and his son was even more devastated. And yet his brother, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you how he got in, but he got into the graduation. Uh, and I would have too. Uh, I would have swum that river as well. So anyway, he got in, and, uh, but he didn't tell his son. He did, all his son knew was that he w couldn't come. So his son comes marching in, you know, boom, 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 you know, uh, you know, and he looks over and he sees his dad 
And Eric said his chest just went, poof, it's like, wow. Now, how many people did his son march by before he had that reaction? I mean, what's the difference? You know the difference, relationship. Dear friends, Christianity makes no sense outside of the context of relationship and love. And this is where we get in all kinds of trouble. And this is where the church starts stumbling all over herself when it tries to address the culture and, and make statements in the world. Because what we do is we take Christianity outside of the context of the relationship of love. You can't process God's law. You can't process his commands. You can't process any of his word outside of the context of his love for you and this relationship. You see, because every relationship has a story. It's alive. It's active. Rachel and I have been married, it'll be 35 years this November, and we have a story and it's active, and we're working it out, and we're, we're moving, and we're, you know, there's, there's past hurt, and there's forgiveness, and that's part of our, all of this. And we have a story with God. You see, we know what we deserve. Um, and yet, we know God has chosen us in our right minds when we're really believing the Scriptures. And you see, I mean, it's, it's like a husband who is marveling. There's a difference between a man who's married to a woman and he feels like he's better than she, or a man who's married to a woman who understands that he married up, like I did. There's a man that, there's a difference between the man who thinks, ah, you should wake up in the morning and feel blessed that you're waking up by me, versus the man who wakes up in the morning and says, I can't believe you're still here. Do you get that? And dear friends, we have a lover of our souls that we can never wake up and say, yeah, you're blessed to have me. See, this is, and why am I saying this? Because of this. Verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Now, okay, you've got one person who is not humble because he's not really analyzing his own heart and sin. He's, he's using his religion to feel good about himself, not Jesus but his religion to feel good about himself. And that person, when he says, oh, I know the Lord is great, that our Lord is above all gods, you bunch of wicked neighbors. Or you have the person who is the psalmist understanding God chose me and I don't deserve it. I married so far up, I shouldn't even be in the same house. Why are you letting me into your presence? It's so different. The tone is, for I know the Lord is great, that our Lord is above all gods. What he's doing is he's speaking from experience. He's saying, I know that this God and only this God can satisfy your soul. He goes on, verses 15 through 18. The idols of nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust 
in them. Do you see what he's doing? He's not just saying, hey, our God is great. You bunch of pagans ought to feel bad about yourselves. No, he's saying our God is great and you should know him. You need to see that he's the only one that can bring satisfaction. And, and the way that we know this is this uh, second to last phrase in verse 18. Those who make them become like them. And then the last part, so do all who trust in them. You see, what he's saying is this. He's saying you can worship any God that you want. But any God other than the true God, when you worship them, your soul shrinks to the size of them. We saw it. Still one of the most captivating, shocking statements. Um, Tom Brady, after the third Super Bowl win, is, is there... Um, you know, they're, they're talking about the game. They're talking about his victory. What's it like to win three Super Bowls? And you remember what he said, there has to be more than this. What happened? His soul was made for so much more. And yet he has worshipped this idol and it's never going to please him. It's Nick Saban, the knight of, of one of his many national championships, hitting the road, getting on a plane to go recruit. He can't even enjoy the national championship celebration. He says, why? Because we've got to do it again next year. His soul is shrinking to the size of his idol. And dear friends, I cannot imagine winning a Super Bowl. Three of them. I can't imagine that exhilaration. I can't imagine being on top of the world like that. But let me just tell you something. If you have Jesus, you have more than that. Because your heart was not made to be ultimately satisfied. You can enjoy it when you have Jesus. But it is not your God. And you can let it go. Your soul adapts to the size of your idol. But oh, when you're worshiping God, do you know how big your soul gets? Your soul becomes therefore you can release it is freedom of desire and hunger there is nothing you can bring to god where he says oh i just don't have enough you know like me playing with my grandkids man i can go hard for about 15 20 30 minutes we're wrestling we're all over the floor and man they got infinite amount of energy and i'm like okay Bapa's got to rest, time out. I got to go get some water. I got to chill out. We don't have a God. We have a God that says, you come with everything you are. You come at me hard as much and as often, and I will give you more and more and more and more. Come on, keep coming. And we are laid out on the ground. I can't do it anymore. And God's saying, I'm not tired. What's wrong with you? You see, our souls, that's why heaven is not long enough. Eternity is not long enough because God is big enough. That's why coming to Jesus, if you don't understand that, you're not going to understand his call to love him exclusively. See, that's the nature of love. Many in the world would look at this and I have to, I mean, even me, it's shocking in our cultural day. Oh, the gods of the earth, they have ears, but they cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. That sounds a little, you know, I had to do some work to, to bring it out. And I do believe that, that ex, what I, how I exegeted is right. 
But still, it's in our day, that's just arrogant, you know. And, and what's the primary argument against Christianity today? Well, it's so exclusive. And that's just arrogant. No. Let me, okay. I would, anybody that would say that Christianity is arrogant because it's exclusive. No, that's how love works. If you don't believe that, turn to your spouse right now and said, hey, I found another man, I found another woman, I'm going to invite them into our relationship. See how that works. Oh, wait a minute. You're telling me your marriage is exclusive? Right, because that's how love works. You go to your boss and you say, hey, dude, I love my job, but I'm going to take about five hours a day because this other dude job down the road, they, you know, they're paying a little bit more, but I'm not leaving you. Your boss would say, whoa, uh, how, you know, pack your stuff, you're gone. Oh, that sounds so exclusive. Right, because that's how faithfulness works. It's the only way it works. And all of us, all of us understand that naturally. What Jesus is to us is a superior lover. But in order for that to be the case, we have to appraise him daily. You have to, you have to, that's what that four-year-old is. He's a little appraiser. You know, he pulled off his pen up behind his ear, he had his paper, and he was appraising the value of that silly putty. Yep, it's worth everything. Ah! That's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing constantly. We're appraising, we're valuing, and we're worshiping. You have to appraise God. He has to be in your sight. He has to be here. You, he can't be over here. He's got to be here all the time. Worship has got to be a way of life, but you've got to be appraising Him all the time. Man, this was brought to me two or three weeks ago. We went, several of us went to a conference called Revoice. It's in, it was in St. Louis. And Revoice is um, a conference, this is the second year, put on by same-sex attracted um, Christians who um, have looked at the scriptures and said, um, to follow Jesus demands that I be celibate. Now, my desires, you know, I think only like two to three percent of uh, the group of same-sex attracted Christians experience a reversal of desire. So the desire is still there. And so what they've concluded is, looking deeply into the scriptures is, I cannot follow Jesus faithfully and act on my desires. And so what it means for me to follow Jesus, what these speakers were saying, is a life of celibacy and singleness. And I sat there for four days, and I listened to sermon after sermon, seminar after seminar, of men and women saying, this is my desire, and I'm not ashamed of my desires. I didn't, I didn't choose this. This is my desire. I'm a redeemed child of God, and I will never be married. Some of them, anyway, that's a whole other story. And I'll never be, um, and I'll, be sing, I'll be single and celibate for the rest of my life. And I listened to that, and I didn't, I didn't think... Oh, wow, finally, you know, those people over there are finally getting it. No, I looked at that and I said, you're my new hero. Why? Because it made me so uncomfortable because I had to start looking at my own heart and saying, what am I loving more than Jesus? And I'm get, I think I'm getting away with it.
I mean, their witness absolutely indicted me. And I had to hold my heart up and say, what is God asking me to let go? Because the theme and the, the response over and over and over again from these brave men and women was this, Jesus is worth it. Dear friends, what do you know you have to give up today? Jesus is worth it. See, it's not that, oh, one group of believers has to give up something and we don't. No, Jesus said, die to self, take up your cross, and follow me. He told the rich young ruler, you sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then we'll talk. Why? Because he knew that was his real identity. What is Jesus coming to you and saying, you must leave that behind? Dear friends, Jesus is worth it. Do you believe that right now? Do you believe Jesus is worth it? If you don't, it's why our worship is so lukewarm. It's why our lives are so non-attractive. It's why in the church today, it's hard to find a church body that is really that attractive. Because the world is loving better than us, it seems. The world is taking care. The world cares more about immigration than we do. The world cares about its neighbor more than we do. It's, it's, it's an issue of worship. It's not an issue of the law. It's an issue of worship. So, dear friends, can you see today that God loves you? It's the most important thing for you to believe that he loves you. And when you believe that, then you know that he's worth giving up anything for him. So I'd love for us just to spend a moment silently right now. Um, and I'm not even going to introduce the offering right now. Uh, I, I literally want us to sit here silently with our eyes closed and I want you to listen to God and I want you to let God tell you how much He loves you. For He chose you before the foundation of the earth. In love He chose you. He took your sin. He is your righteousness. Think on his love right now. Take it in your heart. What's the sin that you feel like 
is holding you back from really receiving and believing God's love for you? What has been done to you? You may feel dirty, not because of something you've done or maybe something that's been done to you, but rather something that's been done to you. You may think nobody else knows about it, and maybe they don't, but God does, and he's saying, you're mine, and I'm yours. Now, what is it in light of his love that he might be asking you to give up? Maybe something he's asking you to do. <laughs> it scares you to death. On the other side of all of that is a father who loves you. Psalmist said he reigns supremely over the lightning, over the clouds, over the rain. What he wants, he gets. That's your father. Now, friends... That's not enough time to deal with all the stuff in your life. That's why you need to wake up in the morning. That's why you need to schedule a time this afternoon. That's why you've got to get with the Lord. It's not to come and read his word and feel bad about yourself. Anybody can do that. It's about coming to his word and hearing that he loves you in spite of how bad you are. Yes. He loves you because, because he's good. He loves you because he is love. And he has demonstrated his love for you. Friends, are you preaching this to yourself? Devil flesh, you can't have me today. You, you can't have, you're not going to paralyze me with shame. You're not going to keep me down from doing what I know God is asking me to do. It may seem stupid and ridiculous. It may offend other people. Do you see the place of meditation? Do you see the place of getting alone with God? Do you see the place of just taking one psalm and, and reading it and memorizing it and letting those words wash over you over and over and over? Dear friends, something is washing over you right now. Something's going to be washing over you in an hour. Something's going to be washing over you at 9 o'clock tonight. Something's going to be washing over you in the morning. Is it going to be what God says about you? Is it going to be what, who He is and what He's calling you to be in light of His love? Or is it going to be primarily something else? Let this something, the Lord Jesus, have all of you. And then, dear friends... The apologetic of the gospel will be strong. Our appearance before the world will be compelling. And God will be glorified. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for those in this room today. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you would love a sinner like me. Thank you, O oh God, that you would not leave nor forsake me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you are life, that you are hope, that you are truth, that you are present in me by your spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray with all that's in me, that you would send your spirit in the hearts of your people in this room, that someone would believe this for the first time, that someone would cry out and say, I need help, I can't do it alone, I need somebody to tell me how much God loves me. Oh God, I pray that you would work mightily in us today, that we might know that you are not neutral toward us, and that you are worth giving up anything and everything for, because what we give up, we really gain. We lose nothing with you, our resurrected Jesus. Help us to believe that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.